Mark chapter 1, verse 9 to 13, just a few verses, but incredibly important. We'll pick up the pace next week. Mark is a book full of action, a lot of movement, a lot of healing, a lot of activity by Jesus. But here this morning, we see the preparation of Jesus for his ministry. So just verses 9 through 13, let me read those and then I'll pray and then we'll get into our study together. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Let's pray before we start. Lord, thank you for your word. It's eternal. It's useful. It's profitable for us to read it, to know it, to understand about you, to understand about ourselves, to understand how your word applies to us. Jesus, we want to look on you and see all that you did for us, and we want to look, then reflect on our own lives and see what you want to do in us. So we commit it to you, Lord. Have your way with us, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. First, we see the baptism of Jesus in verses 9 through 11. Uh, You may ask, why did Jesus get baptized? And that's a a really, really legitimate question. In chapter 1, verse 5, we are told that the people went to John the Baptist confessing their sins. Look at at chapter 1, verse 5 there. All the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, went out to John the Baptist, excuse me. They went out to John the Baptist and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. So the baptism of John the Baptist was a baptism of repentance. He was preaching that the kingdom of God was coming and that people needed to agree with God about their sins. Repentance is simply agreeing with God and having a willingness to turn around. It's not promising perfection. It's not promising God you'll never do this thing or that thing again. But it's agreement with God with the intention to follow through and walk in his ways, depending upon him. So the people went to to John the Baptist at the Jordan to confess their sins. But the Bible tells us that Jesus had no sin. So he was baptized for a different reason. Look at your notes. There's a lot of notes here that I put in today. Some verses that speak about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. A lot of verses that talk about the sinlessness of Christ. Jesus became a sin offering for us, but he knew no sin, but he became a sin offering for us so that he would die for our sins. If we would receive that payment for our sins, we would have the righteousness of God. God would look at us as righteous people, not because of our works, but because of what Christ did and us trusting in Christ. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, and the reference is to Jesus, Seeing that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Jesus passed from the heavens down to earth. That's what the writer's talking about. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now a priest, generally speaking, is the one that stands between God and man. And so Jesus is the one that joins man to God and represents God to man. So that's kind of the reference. That's the image that the writer's giving us. But he was a priest that had no sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
Jesus understands what the writer says here. Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. How does he sympathize with your weakness? Because he became man. He put on flesh. In heaven, Jesus wasn't tempted. There was no temptation in heaven. But in, on earth, as he put on flesh, there's temptation. There's temptation. I mean, he was accused of being demon-possessed, being illegitimate, um, any number of things, being a liar, being out of his mind, all these things. Treated horribly, you guys know, eventually crucified. His humanity, the, that verse tells us, his humanity, in his humanity, he was tempted in all points like we are. If you're mistreated and it hurts, guess, and you maybe think, just for a passing moment, <laughs> revenge, he was tempted with that in his humanity. I don't, I'm not being irreverent about Jesus. He was in all ways, as a human being, tempted as we are, with loneliness, with rejection, with all, all the emotions that you and I go through. He was tempted with all those things, but he never gave in to a sinful resolution of those things. Therefore, verse 16 Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and, and find grace and to help in time of need. He's the one that can help us. And not only help us, but he's the one that understands. When we go to Jesus, he understands. Therefore, we can go. We don't have to say, Lord, you probably won't understand. He'll say, no, I totally understand. Totally understand your loneliness. Totally understand your anger. Totally understand whatever it is you're struggling. I totally understand that emotion doesn't mean he was tempted in all ways, but in all points. And I think there's a, there's a difference there. He was tempted with those human emotions. 1 John 3, 5. You know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So, lots of verses that talk about the sinlessness of Christ. Jesus did not come to be baptized to repent of his sins. He had no sins. So there must have been other reasons that he came to repent. John the Baptist objected to baptizing Jesus knowing that Jesus didn't need to repent. And that's why John the Baptist was there for everybody else because they needed to repent. When Jesus came, he's saying, hey, this isn't right. You don't need to repent. And there was, a, there was a, an objection there. Jesus did not come to confess his own sins but to take away our sins. Look at your notes. John 1.29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When you come to Jesus and confess your sinfulness to him and accept his payment for your sins, you're before God and man, God looks on you and he doesn't see your sins any longer. People still might, and they do, and we remember them maybe sometimes far too often. But in a judicial sense, you're sinless before God because Christ paid for your sins. If I break the law and the, and the judge tells me, okay, Mr. Walden, uh, six months in jail or a $20,000 fine, well, guess, guess which one of those two is going to happen. <laughs> I don't have an extra 20K lying around, so six months in jail, there I go. And I'm sitting in jail and I'm thinking, boy, I really shouldn't have done that thing. And I'm, here I am in jail and I deserve this. I brought it upon myself. I deserve to be here. I sinned. And suddenly I'm released and I find out that I have a long lost distant uncle with lots of money who just dropped 20,000 bucks to get me out of jail. What did I do to get myself out of jail? Nothing. But is the court satisfied with payment? Yes or no? Yes, the court is satisfied with payment. Now, I walk out of jail thinking, man, I'm thinking <clears throat> about all those sins, but when I see a policeman on the street, I don't need to run because I've, I was, that crime has been paid for. I'm no longer guilty of that crime. Christ died for your sins, and when a person says yes to him, 
We are given the righteousness of God. We are pronounced not guilty before the throne of heaven. It's a matter of faith, not of works. Mark here, the gospel writer, does not clearly state why Jesus was baptized, but I have three things that I want you to, to consider. And, I, and I, I believe these things, okay? And I'm bringing forth evidence to, to, to maybe help you believe them as well. Jesus was baptized out of obedience. He was in full agreement with the Father's righteous plan. The Father had a plan about how to present the Son to the world, and Jesus went along with it. Jesus fulfilled the righteous demands of the law by coming to pay our debts. I just explained that. But, but, but he also needed to be identified as the Messiah. Look at Matthew 3.13, a parallel account of the baptism of Christ. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? So John recognized the sinlessness of Christ. By the way, they were cousins. So, it'd be nice to have a sinless cousin, I guess, or I don't know, hang out with him at family reunions and don't get in trouble or something, I don't know. That was all really bad humor, forget it. (laughs) But Jesus answered and said to him, John, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said in him being baptized, in, in John agreeing to baptize him, it was a fulfillment of the righteous plan of God. So Jesus is getting baptized because it was part of the plan of the Father in his presentation of the Son to the world. Secondly, Jesus is being identified with sinful man. Now we just kind of alluded to that in the book of Hebrews. We have a high priest that understands what we go through. You know how it is when you're going through something and you're talking to somebody and they're, and they're trying to console you and all that, but they haven't got a clue. Right? They don't know how you feel, as opposed to somebody that you go to and they've been through pretty much the same thing. <clears throat> You're explaining it to them and they're finishing your sentence. Right? And you understand, I don't even really have to explain it. They get it. They understand it. Jesus gets it. He understands. He became identified with sinful man in this way by coming in the flesh and going through what we go through. Identification with sinful man. Look at, look at there, Philippians chapter 2. He walked among us as a man. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto at any cost. Jesus set part of his divinity, not his divinity, but his div- divine attributes aside when he put on flesh. As God the Son in heaven, he was everywhere all the time. And he had all knowledge. As God the Son in the flesh, he was in one place at one time and had to learn and grow. And this is kind of a strange concept, but it's true, okay? He took on flesh and there was limitations. And so he limited himself. He stepped down to be identified with you and, and with me. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why did Jesus get baptized? Number one, obedience to the Father's righteous plan. Number two, so that he would be identified in all ways with sinful man. You You can go to Christ, guys, and he will say, I understand how you feel. We just read it in Hebrews, didn't we? In all ways, he was tempted. He struggled like you do in his humanity. 
Number three, Jesus got baptized, and in so doing, he showed his commitment as his role as the Messiah. Very close to, to number one, obedience. He committed to the plan that the Father had. I'll go through with this. Just as a side note, I don't know. And, and this, I, sometimes I like to have what I call holy speculation. But I wonder if Jesus, if I, if I was Jesus, first thank God, right? But, but, yeah. but if I was Jesus, and I know there's no sin in me, right? But I know the Father wants me to get baptized to, to, to identify with all these sinners. But if I'm still a man, I still have emotions, and I, my, my head can go a little wacky sometimes, right? Like everybody. And, and I'm thinking, I'm getting baptized. I wonder what they think, though. Right? You guys with me? I'm getting baptized here. I know I have no sin. John knows I have no sin. The Father knows I have no sin. But I wonder if they think that I've been sinning. There was a cost there, I think. Even at the baptism, there was a cost there of being misunderstood. I don't like to be misunderstood. None of us like to be misunderstood. Was that a possibility? I think it's a distinct possibility. Are we told that? No. But people being people and Jesus being a man, I think it's a distinct possibility. So it was a great commitment for Jesus to be baptized, in my opinion. Moving on. Why did Jesus get baptized? Three things. Obedience to the Father, identification with sinful man, and commitment to the Father's plan. In this, we see the Father's approval of the Son. Look at verses 10 and 11. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and the voice came from heaven, and it said, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, it's interesting to me, it's, Mark tells us this way, Jesus saw the heavens departing, and Jesus saw the Spirit de- de- descending upon him like a dove, and then the voice said to Jesus, You are my beloved Son. Now, my first thought would have been, well, the Father wants the crowds to see that the Father in heaven approves of God the Son on earth. And I think that's legitimate. Certainly, it's an it's a affirmation of, of the calling and the person of Jesus Christ. But we are told here very clearly, look at verse 10, Jesus saw the heavens departing. And I'm going to kind of make a point about this. Jesus, Jesus was the one that needed to see the heavens parting. As not only the crowd, but Jesus needed to see the heavens parting. And the Father arranged it to be so. Jesus needed to experience and see the Holy Spirit coming down in the form of a dove and, and descending and, and settling upon him, anointing him for ministry, giving him strength and power to carry through with the three-and-a-half-year three mission that he was going to have. The voice from heaven didn't announce approval to the crowds. When I would have thought that, like the Father was saying, hey, everybody, watch this. Pay attention to my Son. Boom, Holy Spirit. You know, and No, the Father said to the Son. Did other people hear it? Probably, sure. Did other people see the heavens parting? Sure. Did they see the Holy Spirit coming down like that? Sure they did. But I just want to make this point. Who was it especially for? I think it was especially for the Son, Jesus. And I'm going to kind of build this as we go on. God the Father validated to God the Son his calling and his enabling and his approval. The Father said, this is my beloved Son. The Father wanted to make sure the Son knew, "I'm, I'm pleased with you, Son. I love you and I'm pleased with you. Now I'm going to fill you, I'm going to anoint you with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean Jesus wasn't filled with the Spirit before, but this was an anointing, I believe, for ministry. So what do we have so far? Jesus comes 
The Father wants me to be baptized. I'm going to go along with this plan. I need to be identified with these people. I'm going to become one so I can minister to them. I'm, I'm, on, I'm committed to the Father's plan. And here I am, Father. And the Father says, you know what, son? I love you. You're beloved. I'm pleased with you. And I'm going to enable you and equip you. And this all happened at the baptism. So when people say, why did Jesus get baptized? I think for all these reasons. Jesus became an example to us of submission to the plans of God. God God the Son obeyed God the Father. These events gave public credibility to Jesus and fulfilled the prophecies about him. Remember what we read back in in verse 2? Behold, I send my messenger before your face, Prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. It was prophesied. And so the baptism of Jesus also fulfilled that prophecy and showed the people that the Messiah was here. I also believe these events were intended to strengthen Jesus and his humanity. Flip over the page. We're halfway home. Jesus was tempted in all points like us. That's what we read in Hebrews 4.15. The title of this message, what is the title of this message? Jesus identifies with you. The subtitle is something like, he's so much more like you than you ever imagined. Now we worship him as the risen Lord and the risen King, but in his, in his earthly ministry, guys, he, he totally gets it. I don't know, I don't know the sad, what sad feeling you're feeling today or what doubt even self-doubt, I'm going to suggest. Am I being irreverent to Jesus? No, I don't think so. He struggled in all points as we do. You struggle with self-doubt? I think he felt that on some occasion. Did, do you sometimes wonder if you can, can finish this race? Do you sometimes wonder if you can make it? Do you sometimes wonder, what am I going to do if my friends abandon me or I have this loss or whatever? In all points, it says it, Right? Yes or no? It says it. Now, if I was Jesus and I was called to be the Messiah, (laughs) these are the questions I would have asked. You can look at your notes there. I would have said something like this. Am I able to complete this mission? Remember remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was so under such pressure and and, and tension that the capillaries on his forehead burst and he has hematodrosis and he's, he's sweating blood? Father, if this cup can pass from me, please let it pass from me. He did not, in his humanity, did not want to go to the cross. It was brutal. It was horrible. And I would have been asking something like this. I don't know if I can do this. I know what God wants me to do. I don't know if I can do this. Another question that I would have asked. Father, are you sure that I'm the one to do this job? Are you, did you mean to point to him and your finger slipped and you pointed to me? I mean, you think, I'm the one that you want me to do this thing? When it says he struggled in all points like us, this, I just start thinking, what would I struggle with? And he had to struggle with it too, in some way, shape, or form. Another thing I would have said, Father, what if everybody turns against me? Will I be able to finish? His family said he was crazy and his disciples left him. He was abandoned. I believe verses 10 and 11 were, were given not only for the crowds, but for Jesus also, to confirm his calling, to confirm the Father's approval, to, to confirm the enabling of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if when Jesus 
is walking with that 80 to 120 pound crossbeam on his shoulders, walking out to Golgotha and he's been scourged and beaten and all these things and he's half dead already and he's just going like this and people are spitting on him and crying and, and just treating him like trash and all this. Did his mind go back to this baptism and go, I know the Father loves me. I know I can do this because this Holy Spirit came upon me. And I know he's pleased with me. Nobody around here is pleased with me. Even my best friends left me, but my father's for me. Can you guys see that? I wouldn't be surprised at all if his mind flashed back to this moment. This baptism was for Jesus. It was for us. It was for them, but it was for Jesus. It was confirmation of his identity, of his relationship with the father. Look at Isaiah 42 here in your notes. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew this was about him. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice. He's not an arguer, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, gentle with the weak people. A smoking flax he will not quench. With people that are at the end of their life, he's not going to come and snuff them out. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. The coastland shall wait for his law. I think the baptism of Jesus was... was at least equally for him as it was for us and for the people because of all that was accomplished there. Look at the temptation of Jesus, verses 12 to 13. And immediately, <clears throat> now, now the baptism, it's all great. Heaven's open, excuse me. <clears throat> Holy Spirit comes. Mission accomplished. Okay, baptism done. He starts walking out. Okay, Lord, what's next? Go to the desert. Yeah, but Jerusalem's to the right. Go left. But all the people are over there. Yeah, that's exactly my point. I don't want you around people right now. I want you to go this way. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. How might we have responded? Okay, how would I have responded? <laughs> I don't want to implicate you guys. I'll implicate myself. Having received such approval, I would have wanted to start a very public ministry. Would have got a PR man and say, freshly baptized and filled by the Holy Spirit, witnessed by multitudes, approved of by John the Baptist, I am here, your Messiah. You know, I mean, you kind of want to gain that momentum, right? You want to, you want to work off of that. You capitalize on the moment, heaven's opened up, spirit dove experience, you don't want to lose that. You, you might reason that it's wise to use this momentum to start the ministry. But Jesus, no, he needs to go out and be tested. His first experience as Messiah, to be tested, to be tempted. The Father was testing him, the enemy was tempting him. When you, when you go through a trial, guys, it's two things at the same time. Satan wants you to fail. So you can feel disqualified, so people will see you as disqualified, so you lose credibility, so you get discouraged and quit and not want to go through with it anymore. Satan wants to tempt you to fail. God wants to test you to prove what you're made of. You find a piece of orange rock or gold rock, orange. I'm, I'm like color challenged. <laughs> you find a piece of gold rock, right? And you're like, it's gold. And somebody says, well, you need to get it tested. And so you take it to the place and whatever they do, put it through the fire or whatever, they, they put it through the fire to test it. And if it comes out, then it's proven. Yeah, it's gold. You know, Satan would want it to come out like, it's fake, it's spray painted 
granite, you know, and, but over, no, it's tested. It's the real thing. And when God tests us, we walk through a trial and we go, I'm tested, I'm, I'm approved, I had faith, I made it through. And Jesus needed to go through this thing. And it needed to be hard. Look at your notes there. His first experience as Messiah to be tested and tested and I wrote tested and tested, but I meant tested and tempted. How could how could Jesus minister strength to us unless he himself also trusted in the Father? The same way that Jesus wants to help you is the same way that he had to he had to depend on the Father. The Son had to depend on the Father, guys. So do you. You have to depend on the Father. Look at Hebrews 5. In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, this is speaking about Jesus. He offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries. This this is not like a a runny nose and a few tears. This is sobbing. with, With sobbing and tears to him who was able to save him from death, the son was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus learned Forgive me for the phrase if it's irreverent. Jesus learned how to be, the, how to be a Messiah by suffering as a, as a godly, spirit-filled man. <clears throat> you want to have a Savior that understands you. You want to have a Savior that says, you can do it because I did it. Because he was fully flesh and he depended on the Spirit. And you want that kind of Savior He learned obedience by the things which he suffered and having been perfected, don't miss that connection there. He learned by suffering and having been perfected, did you see it? Another word for perfected is made mature or complete, let me paraphrase. He learned obedience by suffering and after that he was complete. If you want to be a mature Christian, don't run out of the fires. Go through the fires. Certainly when you're going through a trial, just keep on going. But some of us just want to be so insulated that God can never see if we're real gold or not. We don't don't know if we're real gold because anything that looks like a trial or a hardship, we yell persecution and run the other way. Jesus obeyed the Father and went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days so that he could be the Messiah to us, be the Savior to us, be our high priest. You guys with me? Pretty somber crowd out there. It is somber though, isn't it? It is somber, appropriately somber. Not sad, but serious. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to those who obey him. You know the, the, the people, that I, ha- the, the people that, I, that I often most enjoy fellowship with? The ones that have suffered. Because all the, all the, all the fluff has been stripped away. It's all been burned off. You, you get around people that have gone through the fire... There's no, there's no surface, you know, it's, it's not Twinkies. <laughs> you know, it's just real, real Christianity. This is what Jesus went through. Look at also in Matthew 4, right under that. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit sent him off in, into a test. If you say, I want to live the Spirit-filled life, great. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I want to live the spirit-filled life. Okay, we're going to test you. Oh, no, not that. I just want to be happy, you know. Spirit-filled life is not just being happy. It's also going through temptations and, and trials and suffering. 
so that God can change you so that you are more useful for his kingdom. That's how our, that's how our Savior started his ministry. Lord, I want you to be in the ministry. Use me. Okay, fast for 10 days. Well, is there a plan B? You know, No, it's plan A. That's it. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, the tempter said a bunch of things. And that's another study. If you want to go on my website, there's my website. And I have a lot of notes on this. And I really studied this thing really thoroughly a number of years ago because it was so interesting to me to see Jesus' response to the temptation of Satan. I really would encourage you, if you have some time, not because they're great notes, it's, it's just God's great insights. But how do you say no to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life? which I think those temptations were. So that's there for you. We're going to keep moving. But the same grace that helped Jesus is the same grace that helps us. The same Holy Spirit that helped Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that helped us. It might sound weird to, to, to think that God the Son needed help from God the Spirit, but God the Son was also in flesh. And he needed help from God the Spirit to depend on God the Spirit. Jesus showed us how to resist temptation. He understands our struggles against sin. As we, as we wrap this thing up, guys, if you have questions, please, please send them in. I'll try to answer them, do my best. My final point here is this. I believe we need to have the same experiences as, as Jesus. We, you know, if you're a Christian and you're saying, Lord, use me, you know, and I hope, I hope you're saying that, you know, we should be saying that, Lord, use me. And God, does, God defines the, the breadth and the depth and the height of our ministry all, all we have to do and all we really need to do is say, like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, here I am, Lord, use me, however you want. Just use, I'm here, I'm available. You're not going to give me too much that I can't handle. You're not going to give me uh, too little. You're going to use me appropriately to my gifts and all that, but, but here I am, Lord, use me. That, that's a wonderful prayer. That should be our prayer. Dear brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, you should be about the Father's business because we are going to stand before the bema seat of Christ and we are going to give an account for our lives. You're going to give, if you're a Christian today, you're going to give an account for your life. What did you do with the life that Jesus Christ gave you? Did you spend it on yourself or did you spend it serving him? And serving him, sometimes he gives me a little recreation time as I serve him too. So it's not a recreation-free life. It's just he's the priority. We need to answer for our lives. You guys know this, right? Amen? You guys know this, right? We need to really keep it on the front edge of our, of our vision. To serve the Lord strongly and well, this is what I suggest. Number one, you need to be sure that God is your father and you are his child. Why do I say that? Because the father said to the son, you are my beloved son. When, do, when is Jesus going to need to remember that? When he's getting scourged by Roman soldiers? when he's being called illegitimate and out of his mind and in league with the devil. He needs to be able to flash back and know, man, these people just don't understand me at all, but my father said I'm his son. And if you're going to serve the Lord, guys, increasingly in this world that we live in, you're going to get all kinds of pushback. You are. The world is, the world is increasingly pushing you back against the kingdom of God. And we need to just be sure, number one, you need to be sure that you're a Christian but not only that, you need to be experiencing that fatherhood of God. Look at Romans chapter 8, guys. 
You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We need to be sure. As you go through this life, guys, you need to be sure. And you need to just experience, oh, Lord, I'm so glad you're my father. It doesn't even matter what they say about me or I'm excluded. I'm not invited to the, to the family picnic anymore. It doesn't even matter, Lord. I know you're my father. I just... I'm your son, I'm your daughter. I just, I know we have that relationship. You've done this work in my heart, God. Oh, thank you so much. Kind of come hell or high water, I know I'm your child. Thank you so much. You need to be sure of that. If you're not sure of that, maybe you haven't said yes to him as your father or maybe you're just struggling with that relationship. Turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Get that father-child relationship firmed up so that when opposition comes, you can keep going because you know you're the, you're the, that, the God is, that God is your father and you're his child. You need to know that. You need to experience that. Number two, Jesus knew that the father approved of him. I remember 30, oh my gosh, as the longer I live, the farther back it was. I remember being at a Bible study one time and the, the gal that was the worship leader told all of us, pray for the person on your right, pray for the person on your left. And I was on one side of her. And, and uh, Evie Free Fullerton, Chuck Swindoll's church, they used to let us do a Bible study. This is about 1982, 81. And the girl came up to me afterwards and she says, I think the Lord just wanted me to tell you that he's pleased with you. I started bawling. Are you kidding me? He, hasn't, he mixed me up with somebody else. Uh, I was crying because I knew all the things that I should have been doing, all the things I wasn't doing. It's so easy to be aware of our faults, isn't it? But it was a word from the Lord for me that he loves you, he's for you, he's pleased with you. Man, we need that, don't we? Amen? Do you need it? Yeah. That's what Jesus got at his baptism. This is my beloved son, I'm well pleased with you. There's a lot of people that aren't pleased with God and Jesus Christ and the church. And you hear about it and you read about it and all that. Spend less time on social media and more time in your Bible. Listen to sermons. Go online. Go on YouTube. Listen to great preachers, women of faith. Get that message in your head. Not this other stuff. That other stuff tears us down. Finally, if we want to serve the Lord well, there's a... Well, let me read that quote, Romans 8. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, the ones who are called according to his purpose. What shall we say to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? You need to be sure of that, Christian. You need to be sure. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? If, Je- if the Father didn't withhold the son, he's not going to withhold any, any other good thing from you. You have to know that. It, it's security. It's an anchor for your soul. We need that anchor for our souls, right? I do. I think you do too. Finally, number three, if you want to really experience that life that Christ had, that victorious life, you need to learn how to live the Spirit-filled life. Be led by the Spirit, resisting sin. Galatians 5, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The, The flesh lusts against the Spirit. There's a battle inside each one of us, flesh against Spirit. The Spirit against the flesh, these things are contrary to one another. You don't do the things that you wish. Uh, anybody want to just give out another groan on that one don't tell me the Bible's not true are you kidding that's true 
We all do things we wish we wouldn't do. But I and you can increasingly learn how to say yes to the Spirit and no to sin. And Jesus was overcome by the Holy Spirit as his ministry started. He was enabled, he was equipped. Of course we think about his divinity. But don't forget about his humanity. His humanity gained great victory by living a spirit-filled life. What, what do we have? To follow in the footsteps of Jesus, do you identify with sinful man? Jesus identified with sinful man. Do you realize the people around you that you are no better than they are at all? You might have a relationship with Christ and they don't. And maybe God has done some good work in your life and, and you're doing better than you used to and that's all wonderful. And yes, you had to try and agree with God and put forth some effort and all that. But on a bit, when we boil it all down to our humanity, none of us are any better than anybody. There should be no arrogance when we minister to people. None at all. Zero. Zero. Jesus stepped out of glory to put on flesh. We can step out of our pride a little bit to minister to other people not congratulate ourselves so much. Jesus was sure of the Father's love. He was sure of his sonship. He was also filled with the Spirit. I need all of those things. I need them today. I need them tomorrow. Every day of my life, I need those things. You do too. I think this is, this is this, just, just don't miss it. Jesus totally gets it. He understands you guys. He understands you guys. He went through all this stuff that we go through. Intentionally so he could help us. Not just save us from hell, but help us. I appreciate that. Are there any questions about anything today? I'm looking here at the iPad. Allie, can you come on up? And... Could baptism be more than just a symbol? Jesus said in Matthew 28:19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see in the early church people were baptized in the same day, the same day they believed. I don't think baptism, I think you can be saved without being baptized. But if you're saved, you should be baptized as you are able. I've baptized people in bathtubs who were so sick with cancer they couldn't go anywhere. I've baptized people in all kinds of different places. But we also remember the thief on the cross. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, this day, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. No baptism. Is baptism important? Absolutely it's important. It's identification and declaration of faith. But I don't, I don't see it as mandatory for salvation. We're saved by faith, not by works. But it's a very, very, very important commandment and declaration to the world. Good question.